0: Welcome to the Northridge Church podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Worship team, thank you for leading us. You know, there's we sing songs of proclamation to, sometimes where we're Speaking about God and about what God has done in our lives, and it kind of spiritually what's happening is we're talking to anyone who's listening and we're, we're testifying, if you will, we'll, we're witnessing, we're proclaiming to people the world around us maybe sometimes the world around us, just our neighbors to our left and to our right, correct? Uh, and we're just talking about the goodness of God or how He's faithful to us, but then there's, there's songs of adoration when we're speaking to God directly, and this was a song. Of adoration, where you're not talking to your neighbor, but you're talking to God and you're saying, God, this is who you are. This is who you are. You're our way maker. You're our light in darkness. You're our promise keeper. Uh, No no greater theological truth you will express today than what we sang in that song of, even when we don't feel it, we know you're at work. Even when we don't see it, we know you are at work, God. And that is an incredible, incredible statement of faith. It's hard sometimes to be faithful to God. And, and from our perspective, from our eyesight, we think he's silent. We think he's not aware of what's going on in our lives, or or worse yet, he doesn't care what's going on in our lives. And yet the truth is he's at work and he is moving, but sometimes we just don't see the full story yet. Uh, I go back to our, our series we did uh, when we were uh, looking at the birth of Christ and looking at the life of Joseph and to think, to think, to think that God is so powerful that he can move in a pagan king, king's heart, to make a decree for, for Joseph to have to go back to his homeland, him to have to go back to Bethlehem in order for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem so a prophecy would be fulfilled. Uh, God at work, and at the moment, at that moment, Joseph had no clue what was happening, had no understanding why God was, was wanting him to go to Bethlehem, but it was because of a 700-year-old prophecy of saying what the Messiah would be and where he would be born. And uh, God is at work in the world around us, whether we experience it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we see it or not. And that's a God we worship, and he is worthy of our worship. So uh, it was approximately uh, 1997-ish, ish, and I was a new youth minister, and I had the privilege at that time to speak. I, I wasn't speaking, actually. I was giving an invocation. I was giving a prayer, an important prayer for the religious service, the, 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 the worship service at the end of that year's graduation or the end of that year's academic calendar for Kickapoo, uh, actually, for at that time in those days, uh, all of Springfield School District had one baccalaureate service. and so I was as a young youth minister, given the uh, what I considered a big honor, a big honor to be able to pray and be on the dais with these ministers and these youth ministers who had been laboring and serving in some cases for decades in the community. And here I was, I got to got to do a prayer and uh, uh, I remember, that, that I was told, I was encouraged strongly to write my prayer down and time it out uh, because, I mean, this service was done to the second, to the second. And and and, and I was very, it was put in my mind very clearly that good things would not happen to me if I went, if I went five seconds under time, great. But if I went 10 seconds over time, I don't know, I would still be paying the penalties for that to this very day. Well, for me, personally writing down in those days especially i had the arrogance to think that oh writing down a prayer there's some something unspiritual about that i mean just can't be in the moment and what if the holy spirit were to speak to me at that time to pray for something different i mean i had lots of reasons in my mind of why i should not write my prayer down looking back on that probably the overarching unsaid reason was just more of of a sense of laziness than anything else, of not having to think about your wording beforehand. I thought as a young 22, 23-year-old man, I could wing this and and do just fine. Well, you know me well enough to know what happened. I get in the, that moment and in uh, that experience, and I begin pontificating in that prayer and showing everyone my theological knowledge and and te- you know making sure the students all know of of how spiritual their their prayer person is. And you know I'm shit doing all these things. And I look at the clock and I realize I'm I'm like 15 seconds late. And and I see I see the master of ceremonies over here scowling at me. And he's doing one of these deals, doing one of these deals here. Now, see, you know, it's my frustration because every once in a while we'll have someone up here going late and I kind of find myself, I'll go over there next to where Jeff is and I'll just casually go there and I just have memories of that guy. And so I think, well, maybe if I just magically just scratch my neck, then the pe- person up here will will shut it down. And so I just kind of do this usually. And I'm expecting whoever's up here to see that. And then they, they go, oh, it's time to end. And they walk off. Never happened. Never happened to this date. No one's ever seen that. But this guy was doing one of these deals. And I was like, oh, my, I'm, I am oh, I'm in I am in so much trouble. Will I have a pat? Will he fire? Will he call Nolan and tell Nolan to fire me now as a result? And so very quickly, I wrap up. I mean, I like... In mid sins I stop, and I very quickly just say, in Jesus' name, amen, and I, I, I storm off. I take off. I take off. I get off the stage. And after that service, that MC, an older man, uh, comes up to me, been in ministry for years and years and years, and he gave me an incredible lesson that I hold on to to this day, and he did not rake me over the coals for being 15 seconds over time. He did not rake me over the coals for not having a prepared prayer written down as he encouraged me to do earlier. But what he raked me over the coals for was he said, young man, you need to know something about praying. And I said, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yes, sir, I'm ready to hear it. What, what do I need to know? What do I need to be aware of? And he said, when you're praying, you did everything backwards. The most important words you stumbled over and you totally made irrelevant. And yet that was the most powerful Part of your prayer. And what he was speaking of was when I said, "In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name," and and I never thought about that before. I never thought about the importance of that. And now I ask you this question here: um, In 35 years of my my life as a Christ follower, and I've heard thousands of messages from great great people of God, uh, never once I've never once heard someone preach or ta- teach a message on the importance and why we pray in Jesus name why we use and say in Jesus name amen in a prayer never have never never had that teaching come across my table when i go to churches when i sit under other pastors my question for you and have you ever has anyone here by show of hands anyone here say yeah i've i've heard a message i've heard there i've heard preaching on praying and, and the, the why we say, in Jesus' name. Uh, is there anyone here? In the first hour, there was two people. Two people raised their hand. But uh, really, you know, the, that not that interesting that, that uh, you know, most of us have not had any kind of teaching. We've not had any, any we've not talked about it purposefully and, and informatively of why do we say, in Jesus' name, Amen. Because the reality is most of us, are just like I was back in 1993, 1994, when, when I said in Jesus' name, amen, we just use that as a tagline because that's what we've always heard, right? That's what we've always said in the past, and that's how you end a prayer and you move on to the next part of your day. And uh, the reality is there's incredible value, incredible value to invoking the name of Of Jesus. You see, this is something that is unfamiliar to us as 21st century Americans because here's the reality is really most of us are so unspiritual. And when I'm saying that, I'm not castigating and I'm not throwing stones, but the reality is we live in a world that really is out of tune with the spiritual. We are out of tune with deeper things, but we're very focused on the immediate. We're very focused on physical, what we can see, what we can measure, what we can taste and touch. We're very focused on technology. All good things. I'm not saying anything bad about that, but in the process of doing that, we have lost, we have lost what generations and what other cultures just know to be true, and that is how do you interact with with a world that we cannot see and not touch, but yet is just as real, if not more real, than the world that we live in today. How do we uh, live in that reality? And this lesson of using and praying in Jesus' name is a part of that lesson, because here's what's happening. When we say, in Jesus' name, amen, what we are doing is we're doing something that the ancients would call invoking the presence of God. We are invoking the Spirit of God. We are invoking a spirit. This is seen throughout. If you if you have the eyes to see it, you'll see us all over the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, we talked about it just last week, but we didn't specifically talk about this issue. When I was sharing about, about the prophet Elijah, when he was up against the prophets of Baal, and remember when we were talking and the Bible records that as the prophets of Baal were trying to get the spirit, to get the, this God Baal to answer them. What did they begin doing? They danced, and they were screaming, and they were shouting. They were getting louder. They were taking the page out of a Southern Baptist preacher's uh, you know, book, and that is when you got a weak sermon, you just get a little bit louder to show how important it is, right? That's what they were doing. But then when that wasn't working, then what did they do? They got knives out, and they began doing something that seems very horrible to us and very foreign, and they were cutting themselves, something that was not foreign to that culture, something that's not foreign to most cultures around the world. What they were doing was they were trying to invoke this, the, the, they were invoking the presence of their God. And they thought, they had this understanding of, okay, if I cut my skin, very simply, if I cut my skin, if I shed blood, that's going to show Baal how serious I am. I am really serious now about him answering me. And, and I, have, I have to go to extreme lengths sometimes to get the gods or get these spirits to answer me because these gods and these spirits are very impudent. They're very, uh, you know, very demanding and, and they're, almost, they're very petulant. They're like children. And you got to play these games to get them to answer you. And so that's how they do that. Now, now again, what I'm saying—I don't mean to belabor this point, but I want you to see the importance of this. Uh, there are methodologies, and we see in the Old Testament under the Old Law there was very, very ornate and very instructive uh, ceremonies to invoke the presence of Yahweh. Invoke the presence, like we saw that during during their holy day when they would bring two lambs in and they would they would cast sins on lambs. They they would go through these ceremonies to get the presence of God so they'd know that the presence of God was with them in that moment and approved of what they were doing. They were doing these very elaborate things. Today, if you talk to pagans and you talk to people who are involved in in just, you know, paganism and things like that, they go through all these ceremonies. And I would say, I would say they're crazy ceremonies. And you would probably say that too. These ornate, elaborate rituals just to, in their mind, to get, a, a spirit, or to get a god out there, Ra, or Thor, or something like that, out there to listen to them. They would do these things to uh, it, to invoke the the spirits of their ancestors. I was with these martial artists a few years ago, where they went through this elaborate thing and they bowed in front of this picture of these masters of theirs that were dead. And I and I and honestly, I was kind of like, this is just ugh, I don't this is just kind of eerie. And they were doing this all in Japanese. And so I didn't have a clue what they were doing. I was just like, I, just being in the room here, just sitting here watching them, I don't know that I like what I'm seeing and experiencing. So I asked them, I go, what exactly, what exactly was that about? Was, were you just, was that your credo that you give as a martial arts? And they were like, no, 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 that's, that's our ceremony that we are inviting the spirits of our dead ancestors to come and inhabit our bodies as we're training. And they were being serious about this. They were asking for something to possess them, you know. And, and, and I'm not here saying, well, that worked or it didn't work. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I'm like, I'm like wow. So, you know, I, I was, one, very saddened and, and disturbed at just the darkness of the world around us. And, and, and also, I was just, uh, you know, of like just like how even in, in some areas of martial arts and in things, you know, that we are a part, we can be a part of today, there's, there's just some very dark and very sinister things that are in play that just try to hold us back and pin us down. There, there is that that I, I recognize and I saw that. That was those people trying to invoke the Spirit. They were trying to invoke a spirit, a spirit into their lives. And again, I go back to often the times there, it's marked with these elaborate ceremonies. It's oftentimes with the idea of they're trying to coax, they're trying to coax a disinterested entity out there to be interested in them. Keep those in mind. And now I say a second thing, a second thing when we think about prayer, okay? I don't know how you think about prayer, but I one time had kind of a hippie dude who became a Christian during the Jesus era in the 70s. He was trying to to explain to me what prayer was, and he was, I'm going to tell you up front, uh, so wrong, so wrong, okay? So I'm going to say that to take away the you know, take away anything of. if you're wondering where I fall out of this. But he was like, hey, and first of all, he, he started every sentence with man. He used the word man to be a, a filler in most sentences, and he ended almost every sentence with man as well, okay? So he'd come to me, and, and he knew my name was Tony, but I was man to him. And he's like, hey, man, let me tell you about what prayer is, man. Man, prayer is just us just trying to just get our spirits out there, man. And just, it's getting, we're like ham radios. We're just trying to take our spirits and we're just, we're just taking our messages up into the cosmos and we're just hoping, man, that, man, someone just gets a hold of it. May, maybe God would just get a hold of it. We're like ham radios is all we are. We're just a transistor, just beaming positive vibes out there, man. And he was telling me, he's like, you know what, the worst case, you know, maybe God's listening or maybe, I don't know, E.T. is listening could do something for us. Man. Uh, he's saying, maybe at the very best, all of us being together and being united as we're praying and thinking about the same thing and our spirits are out there, maybe that just helps us. Just, just knowing we're at one with one another. Man. Let me tell you, if if, if that's you, if that's your thought of what prayer is, um, I said in the first time, I don't mean to offend, but then I realized, well, yeah, I do mean to offend. I, I am mocking you. Uh, if that's your view of prayer, then when the life, when the bottom falls out of my life, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about like, I discover I have a disease I'm not going to bounce back from or something happens to Dana or Dax. When, when something like that hits me, and if that's your view of prayer, then do me a favor And make me a casserole and bring it to my house. But don't pray for me, okay? Don't come to my house and offer prayers because I don't need them. I don't want your prayers. What I want in that moment are people who are called according to the ways of God, who called upon the name of Christ, and they understand that they have the authority of Jesus, and they go to the throne boldly, making bold requests on my behalf, and they're calling upon the name of God for mercy and grace and joy. And those are the people I need around in my life when my life is bottoming out, okay? Um, Because the reality is for us, Prayer is more than just putting good vibes out there. Prayer is more than us just having positive energy emitting our lives and hoping that good things come. But prayer is us going to the living God and invoking him. This is how I'm going back to original talk. Invoking the presence of God into our lives, knowing that we have a Savior who we don't have to do these ornate and ritualistic ceremonies to get his attention knowing that our God is not petulant, he's not childish, who who is disinterested, mildly disinterested at best in our lives, but we have a God who who loves us, a God who is there for us and he intercedes and he and and because of him, because of the Jesus, we can have access to the throne room, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to John chapter 14 verse 12 as Jesus is teaching about prayer and about Him and His power. If you have a copy of Scriptures, turn there. If not, we have them on the screen for you to check out with me. And Jesus writes, or He says, He's speaking to His disciples. He's speaking to the first-generation church. He says, "...very truly I tell you, whoever believes in Me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father." And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. There's a bunch of teaching right here that we just need to unpack and just walk through here. First of all, at the very beginning, he's telling us the truth. He said, I tell you the truth. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. It is amazing to me that we live in a culture today that more Christians than not tend to believe that we have the ability to pray a prayer. We have the ability to do the bare minimum of taking on the name of Jesus in our lives. And then we have the audacity to think that we can go about our life as if it's still our life. We have the audacity to think that how dare God even think about placing me in an uncomfortable circumstance or an uncomfortable position, because after all, if I'm taking God into my life, the only purpose should be for my personal comfort and for my personal blessing. We say to ourselves that, that God, he should be all about, if he's coming into our lives, it should be all about amending and, and just working out the kinks and the rough edges of our life he is there for blessing, for joy, for happiness, for personal fulfillment, and then the moment that all of a sudden the, the bottom drops out of that, and God seems to be asking you to go into an uncomfortable position or an uncomfortable circumstance, or he's asking you to sacrifice something, or he's asking you to maybe take away things that you love and you have a lot of joy in, and all of a sudden he's telling you to stop that. We get act like children with our fists. We put our fist out, and we stomp our feet, and we say, No! how dare you, God? We think that that that's the kind of Christianity God is calling us to. We, as as American church, as the American church, we tend to believe that when I take on Jesus into my life, my life does not have to change. And yet Jesus makes it very clear that when you call upon me, when you believe in me, what are you going to do? You're going to do the works that I did You're going to do the works that I am doing. And I remind you, friends, the works that Jesus did drove him to be murdered. Bad things happened, right? Jesus is calling us. He's calling us to life change, and sometimes that life change will not be pleasant for us. Sometimes it will be tough. Sometimes it will be hard. Sometimes it will be uncomfortable. Sometimes it will be unpopular. And yet he's calling us to this. Now, another thing I see here teaching, I don't want to just belabor this. I just, I'm just, i just walking through the text together here. He's telling us he's going to the father. So we're going to take his place in the work that he is doing on this world. Verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. There is power attached to Jesus name. He says, I will, I will do whatever you ask in my name. I'm going to do whatever you ask. When you call upon me, so I'm seeing a couple of things here. First of all, you say, hey, you have the ability to call upon me. You have the ability, when you have needs, when you have requests, use my name. Call upon me, and I will operate on your behalf, and I will operate on your behalf for your benefit. So this does. This is a complex thought, folks, and if I just muddle through it, please forgive me, and I hope you could some truth translate it through this time together. But first of all, I, I struggle with this pro- the promise that, that Jesus makes. He says, whatever you d- name, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to give it to you. So I can tell you, I don't know if you were like me, but when I was 13 years old and I heard that prayer, I'm like, really? 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 So if I pray for a Porsche then God's going to give me a Porsche, right? I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing I'm not the only one that had that kind of line of thought, especially as an adolescent, on challenging this, this statement, right? And I tell you what, I, I sure wish my teacher, because my teacher just backpedaled and just well, well that 's not what it means i 'm like well that 's what it says that 's what it' says saying there if I take it what do you mean and, and and they backpedaled they they tried to work their way around, and after about twenty minutes of uncom- uncomfortable conversation, I think we, we closed and I went off and you know started t- talking to the girls or something like that i don 't remember what happened during that time, but I do remember that that my instructor, my teacher, the person who was taking that class, did not have the the, the, the truth, he was not armed with the truth when we looked at, of, and just the ability, the discipline of looking at the whole text. I will do whatever you ask for me in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, because over the years, as I've just asked that question over and over and going, really? Anything? Anything will be, will be asked or will be granted in your name? And then you know what happened over the years? Slowly but surely, a profound respect for the name of Jesus has been and is being built into this person. To the point of where I recognize that, that Jesus' name is so powerful, I better, I better think twice about what I'm asking, and I better think twice about how I'm the demeanor, the manner in which I'm asking it. Because the reality is, is the last thing that we tack on to the prayer that we pray is the most powerful words we'll ever utter. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen. In the name of Jesus, amen means let it be so. In the name of Jesus, may what I've just come before the throne of God to request, may that be the case. And when I have the respect and understand the awe in which we come into the presence, uttering the name above all names, uttering the name that, that, that cancer recedes because of, uttering the name in which demons flee from, uttering the name that when it is invoked, the weather is amended and changed, storms, flee storms go away at the name of jesus dead children have risen from the dead at the name of Jesus, people with insane minds become sane. At the name of Jesus, broken families get healed. At the name of Jesus, lost souls who are hopelessly mired in sin and tragedy all of a sudden are freed to a newness of understanding the joy of the gospel and the freedom that Christ brings. The name of Jesus is the most powerful name that you have in your hands, greater than than any magic spell of a soothsayer, more powerful than any any incantation a magician or a mage can, can invoke. The name of Jesus is so powerful it gets the attention of God. Why? Because for 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 reasons unknown to me, but it made clear in the Scripture, when people are in awe of Jesus, according to this passage, whatever I whatever. and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. For whatever reason, when, when people are in awe of God, when people are in awe of Jesus, and when people bow their knees to Jesus, what does it do? It brings glory to the living God. The Father takes glory in how people are in awe of the Son. And Jesus is saying, whenever you come to the throne and you ask, when you ask, ask in my name, and there will be authority and there will be power in it. And when you and I sit back and go, Really? You're gonna you're gonna give us whatever we ask? Okay, I'm gonna ask for, I'm gonna ask for a Porsche. I'm gonna ask that I have snow in the uh, today. Well, that's we gotta be, we gotta remember when remember Jesus? When Jesus was told by Satan at the temptation, he said, Hey, go up go on at the top of the temple and throw yourself off and and prove to me, prove to me that you're the son of God because ask God to, to, you know, ask God to save you or, or, hey, you're hungry? Well, ask God to turn these rocks into bread. Just show me how powerful God is. And remember Jesus said, you will not tempt the living God. Thou shalt not tempt God get behind me saying, now, I'm not going to do that. Because even though, yes, I have that authority to ask God of that, by asking him that, that's taking something so holy, that's taking something so precious, that's taking something so pure, and it's dragging it through the mud. It's putting something as high as the living God down to the same thing as some two-bit magician that works in a, a traveling carny, right? They're trying to hawk, you know, doing a little sleight of hand stuff and our living God will not stoop to those levels. And so we, though, we have the ability to invoke the name of Jesus. And it's not through some ornate ritual that we have to learn. It's not through years and years and years of practice. It's just as sons and daughters of the living God, we have the ability to say, in the name of Jesus, we present our requests. We present our prayers. We present our longings. We present what's making us anxious. We present what's bothering us. We present what we see is going wrong in this world. We present it to you, the living God. And in the name of Jesus, we ask, ask that you speak into this now. We ask that you do something on our behalf. We ask that you do something in the name of Jesus. It's incredible, friends, that ability, that right that we have. Now, in this text, we also learn that Jesus is going on to be with the Father. Well, the question I ask, he's going to the Father. What is he doing? What is he doing there that he's at? And in, in the presence of the fathers, he simply enjoying his status that he has as a as a son of God, as part of the Trinity, as as part of the Godhead. Is he enjoying the privileges he walked away from for a short time when he was on this uh, when when he was on planet Earth? Well. Paul speaks into this. And in Romans 8, we see a very powerful teaching that is just important for us to wrap our minds around for a few moments. In Romans 8, verse 34, uh, Paul is speaking to the, the church in Rome, and he says this. He says, who then, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, Is at the right hand of God. So he's, Paul's saying exactly what John is talking about. Jesus is with God. And then he goes on and he says, and is also interceding for us. Interceding for us. Wow. What a powerful thought that God is at the throne. And you know what? He is talking on your behalf to the living God, to His Father. He is is speaking on our behalf. He's speaking for us. He is representing us. And Paul goes on and he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul, what he's saying there is he's saying, hey, life is hard. Life is hard. There's a lot of things that could break us, isn't there? And he goes on in verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are able, because we know we have a Savior whose name is so powerful that we have the ability that as we present our lives before the living God, we can say, in the name of Jesus, amen. Because not only is Jesus' name powerful, but he's also before his Father interceding for us Every day that planet Earth is spinning around its axis, going around the sun, we know that the sun is speaking on our behalf. He is interceding for us. He is reminding the Father of his love for us. He is reminding the Father of his sacrifice for us. He's reminding the Father of our need to be sons and daughters of the living God. And then we go on and we see this truth of what Jesus is doing uh, in heaven, played out a little deeper. Actually, in, ch- in Hebrews uh, chapter four, we 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 don't know. We don't know for certain who is the writer of Hebrews. Some the traditional believed it was Paul. Uh, the last forty years, it's thought that it could have been someone else. It potentially, it could be someone who a lesser known apostle, disciple of of uh, of Jesus that we're not even. Uh, familiar with at this point. We we don't ultimately know who it is, uh, but we know it was someone and we know that the church from, from early on looked at the book of Hebrews as being inspired and authoritative. And and this is what the writer says in, in Hebrews, speaking to Jewish believers, speaking to men who were priests, who were former priests of Judaism, he says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that you so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time in our time of need in our time of need we can we can not only know that Jesus is interceding for us but we can also approach that very throne with confidence to help us in our time of needs why because we have a savior who not only intercedes for us he paid the price for us to have direct access to the living god so when you doubt that your prayer is being heard Go to Romans chapter eight and think on that. When you doubt that your prayer is worth anything or that it's even even intelligible, go to Hebrews chapter four to review verse sixteen, because it is it is these are both passages are reminders for us that that we have access through the name of Jesus to the living God. When you doubt your prayers, when you doubt their efficacy or power, when you just mumble in Jesus' name as a tagline, take heart and know that this name has power in it alone. Evil recedes just by hearing the name of Jesus. As we pray, we are invoking and summoning the very name of the Son of God to sustain the prayers that we are requesting. We're asking him to address a situation, to meet a need, to mend a broken heart, not because of our own power, not because of our own goodness or the work that we're doing in present-day life on earth, but because of Jesus, because he is the way maker, as we sang and as we proclaimed earlier, because he is before the throne of God speaking on our behalf. And because of that, we can have incredible confidence in our prayers today. Because of that, we should, should have awe in the fact that we have, have the right to pray today and know that we can invoke the very name of Jesus and attach them to our thoughts, to our desires. And be sure, friends, knowing that you are attaching the very name that is above every name in this earth and under this earth, that all powers, all potencies, all authorities one day will will bend their knees at the name of Jesus. Because of that, think very hard and very long about the things you're praying for. And the attitudes you're taking, for instance, perhaps you're struggling with a coworker. And the reality, the truth of the matter, is my father-in-law says all the time when he's talking about personal conflict, it takes two to make a clap, right? And so if you're having conflict with that jerk in, in, the, uh, in the corner office, chances are you're a jerk too. chances are you have a part in the situation as well. And instead of you going to prayer with petulance, saying, God, would you just straighten this person out because they're a jerk and they're a terrible person, they're evil. God, make their days short even like in the prayers that David prayed. Lord, just take this person out of my life because they're a terrible person. Maybe instead of coming to him like that, you would understand that, hey, I'm invoking the very name of God, the very name of Jesus. And so I better have incredible insight here and I better be very keenly, keenly, keenly aware of the graces at play here. And maybe my prayer changes to God. Right now, there is a struggle going on here. And Lord, I have my position, and I think I'm in the right, but I'm sure I know that I probably acted poorly in this scenario. I know I've, I've done wrong. So God, would you forgive me for what I've done, and would you help me be an agent of grace in this situation? Would you teach me something here? Would you respond? Would you work in this situation for you to get glory? Would you change hearts and minds And God? Maybe, maybe the very first heart and mind that needs to be changed is mine. I yield myself to you, Lord. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Let it be so, God. Maybe that's how we begin approaching some of our prayer requests, not God, how do I get me, mine, and myself? How do I get more for my family? How do I make myself more comfortable? How do I make myself to have more happiness and more prosperity? But instead we start invoking the name of God to say, God, conform me in such a way that you would get maximum glory for my life, that you would get maximum honor from this world around me because of how I choose to live, because of how I choose to react in Jesus powerful name, the reality of invoking the name of Jesus. It should drive us not only to have awe in the very prospect of prayer, but it should drive us to worship the living God, knowing that no matter what your situation, because of the Holy Spirit that is present within the believer's life, Jesus is right there with you. He is right there in the battle. He is right there in the discouragement. He is right there in the sickness. He is right there in the economic crisis. He is right there in the conflict. He is right there in the fire with you. So I ask you right now, is there something breaking your heart? Take it to God right now. Is there something worrying you? Take it to God. Is there something that vexes you? Take it to God. Is there something that causes you incredible frustration and angst? Take it to God. Is there something that breaks you Take it to God. Let us pray this very moment. Father, we come before you and we worship you as the living God. Because that is who you are. You're a miracle worker. You're a way maker. You're light in the darkness. You're a promise keeper. God, that is who you are. And we are so thankful that you are a part of of this world and that you chose to intercede in your creation. You chose to interject yourself into time and history and you made a way for us to come into a relationship with you. You gave us this beautiful tool, this beautiful thing called prayer and you gave us the ability to invoke the most precious name in all of creation, the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And in the name of Jesus, we declare upon you that we desperately need you, God. We need you to work in our lives. We need you to work in our families. We need you to make things right. We need you, God. We need you, God. And so my prayer is in this hour, in this time, in this room together, your people would experience your presence in only a way that you can manifest in their lives, God. That you can speak to issues that no one else knows about. Oh, God, give us the ears and the ability to hear your spirit at work within us. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.